great to see everyone this morning. Hope you're doing well. It's been a very busy week. A lot of things happening around the church as we're preparing and doing ministry and meeting with people and discipling and teaching. And we're very excited. Um, so uh, this morning, the, the title of my message is, is Following Jesus. Following Jesus. So y'all ready to study the Bible? Let's open our Bibles and let's study Scripture together. Please turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Here in our verse-by-verse -verse study, we come to Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. And let me read um, the first verses 12 through 17 to get our minds oriented this morning, where we're going and where the text is taking us. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulon and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, as we go through verse 25 this morning, lead us, teach us, and let us be challenged to follow you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. So, this life that we live, this life that you live, did you know it's all about decisions? Life is all about decisions. Where you live, uh, who you will marry, where you will work. Do you like your steak medium rare or well done? Do you like scary movies or do you like romantic movies? Are you a Clemson fan or a Carolina fan? It's, everything is about decisions in, in this life that we live. And the same could be said of our faith. The same could be, can, could be said of our faith. What will you believe? Who will you trust? Who will you follow in this life? And to make no decision is a decision. That means you're going to follow yourself. And we, we know from Scripture that following yourself can be a, a recipe for disaster. You can make a lot of mistakes. But if you follow the Lord, if you follow God, you will not go wrong, period. So in our text this morning, we're going to go to three different locations in the land of Israel. We're going to go to the Dead Sea, down by the Jordan. You're like, what? I'll show it to you in a minute. We're going to go to, to the Dead Sea, down by the Jordan. We're going to go to Nazareth, and we're going to go to Capernaum, okay, in our text, because that's where the text takes us. And we're going to see three different locations, three different responses to the gospel. And the thing that grabbed me the most as I was studying the text this week was um, not everybody embraces the gospel. Not everybody receives Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know, I've witnessed to people in my lifetime and watched them say, no, thank you, turn away. And you're like, why? Why would you turn, why would you turn away from such a kind offer? It blows me away. And sometimes I think to myself, well, man, man, only if Jesus was here, only if Jesus could witness to them, you know, maybe their heart would change, or if they had this supernatural encounter with Christ, their heart would change. 
But the same thing that happens today is the same thing that happened 2,000 years ago. Not everybody decides to follow Jesus. And we're going to see that in the Gospels this morning. So, um, the decision of who you will follow is the most important decision that you will ever make. Your eternal destination depends on who you choose to follow. And my word of wisdom is please choose wisely. So let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 says, Now when Jesus had heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. There's a lot right there, family, in that one verse. Notice, first off, we have group one. Group one is Herod Antipas and his crew. And all Matthew says there in verse 12, he says, um, John had been taken into custody. Well, you have to go to the other gospels to, to see the big picture of what's taking place there. But John the Baptist was taken into custody by Herod Antipas at the palace of Mancheras on the eastern shore of the Dead Sea in Jordan. This ancient ruin still stands to this day. John the Baptist's crime, he, was, he called out Herod for his adulterous affair with his brother's wife, Herodias. So this was their opportunity to repent. There at this location, as you see the picture, uh, John the Baptist is being held in prison by Herod Antipas for calling him out for his adultery. Now, Herod, uh, John the Baptist's ultimate mission was to call him to repentance and to call him to faith in Christ. So this was their opportunity to repent. But what did Herod choose when confronted with the gospel? Herod chose his lust and his immorality over God. At Herod's birthday party, after Herodias' daughter danced before Herod in a seductive manner, she requested that John the Baptist uh, be beheaded. And so they did. They cut his head off. They went down into the dungeons. They retrieved him. They decapitated his head, and they brought it out, they brought it out for all to see there at the party. You can read the full account of this in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, which is where I got my details of this account from. Herod and his crew, instead, and, and, and instead of following God, chose to follow darkness, lies, and sin. You see, sin is deceptive. It will take you down a dark path that will lead to destruction. Friends and family, I suggest to you today, you know, this, this is one example of why people uh, refuse to follow Christ. And just simply put, they love sin more than they love God. They, 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 they value immorality and lust and, and, and fornication and, and sin over the things of the Lord. Please understand that sin is deceptive. It will deceive you. And after it deceives you, it will destroy you. Okay? So let our eyes, let our spiritual eyes be open this morning to sin's deception. And let's make a decision today. I'm going to choose Jesus over sin. That's, that's the point. Is choose 
to make a decision in your heart, in your mind, I'm going to serve Christ. I'm going to follow Scripture. That's when you really grow in your walk with the Lord, when you're confronted with, with opportunities to compromise or sin, and you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to choose him over rebellion. So this took place... Uh, this took place on the eastern shore of the Dead Sea in Jordan. But all Matthew gives us here, John gives us details, and Matthew chapter 14 gives us details. But, but Matthew's point, he's, getting, he's wanting to get straight to Capernaum. But I just want you to understand that it wasn't smooth sailing once Jesus launched his ministry. People, not everyone embraced the message. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 is our, our, our second group. Verse 13 says, And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, by, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtalia. Verse, between verses 12 and 13 in Matthew's gospel, a lot takes place. Jesus has his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where he utters those famous words, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Between verses 12 and 13, over in the gospel of John, Jesus... Uh, encounters the uh, Samaritan woman and tells her about eternal life. That all took place as Jesus was uh, going to Galilee. But here in verse 13, all Matthew says in verse 13, in those first three words, look at it, and leaving Nazareth. So the question is, what was Jesus doing at Nazareth? This is group number two, the people at Nazareth. If you go over to Luke's gospel, I'll have the words up on the screen in a second. But if you go over to Luke's gospel, Luke fills in the details of this visit to, visit to Nazareth. In Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 19, it says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding districts. And he began teaching in their synagogues. And look at it. He was what? He was praised by all. Man, they were loving Jesus. They, they like this, man. He's he's he's. he's they're loving him. They're enjoying what he's saying, and they're, they're giving him praise. Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and was his custom. And he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. And he proclaims this there in the synagogue. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, take yourself back there 2,000 years ago, man. They're hearing Jesus say these words. We like to say if we could only see Jesus, if we could only hear Jesus, how awesome that would be. How amazing that would be to see the words roll off of his lips. And the text also tells us that Jesus was doing ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit that God had anointed him with that we saw last week. At first, they're in all of his words. But Jesus' welcome is short-lived even at Nazareth. Luke chapter 4, verse 24 says, Jesus says these words. He says, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. They rejected Jesus just like their fathers re rejected uh, Elijah and Elijah. And Jesus 
points this sin out to them in their pride, in their arrogance, in their, uh, their attitude of, you don't tell me how to live my life. You know, you don't, te- you don't tell me. Uh, he calls them out for their sin of rejecting the prophets and now rejecting Christ. Did they repent? No. They didn't. I wish I could stand before you this morning and say, man, they repented, they turned from their sin, they put their trust in Christ, a great revival broke out, and they were just having awesome church services and fellowship lunches, and they were just, it was an amazing time of ministry there at Nazareth. No. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. You know, as far as we know, as far as, far as we know in the four gospel accounts, Jesus never returns to Nazareth. This is it. This is his one visit there. And as far as the the four Gospels go, there's no other visit to Nazareth. The lesson for us today, the application from this one little phrase in verse 13, and leaving Nazareth, and then going over and looking in Luke to see what happened when he went to Nazareth, the, the, the lesson for us today is this. Here's the application. Be careful before you ignore God's word and fail to respond. You may never have another opportunity. Okay? If you hear the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart, if you hear a preacher or a pastor or a Christian sharing the word, and it's it's from the scriptures, man, take it to heart, man. Be like a sponge. Soak it in and say, Lord, yes, I accept that rebuke. I repent. Lord, I, I receive your word. I believe it. I trust it. You know, Make a decision today when you hear the word of the Lord or the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon your life. Do what he tells you to do. You may never have another chance. So we, we got to be quick. we got to be soft in our hearts towards the Holy Spirit and, and, and tender in our hearts toward the Lord and very submissive to Scripture because it's God speaking to us. So this second group, okay, Herod Antipas, they, they, they loved their sin more than they loved God. They hated the messenger. They cut his head off. That's brutal, man. That's murder. That's, that, was, that was the world's opening embrace to the gospel. And then, you know, I think about it. Last week, Jesus was, was baptized uh, in the Jordan. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was anointed for power, and he's ready to go out and change the world. And John the Baptist goes his way. Jesus goes his way. John the Baptist is rejected. And Jesus' first stop is Nazareth. And he's rejected. So, wow, this is just not starting off very well. But this is the nature of the human heart. This is the nature of fallen man. You know, as pastors and preachers and evangelists and Bible study leaders, we got to sow the word. We, we got to we got to plow the hearts so that, that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will take root in people's hearts. And that people will say, yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I trust. And sometimes it takes people more time than it takes others. But man, let your heart be soft and open your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what took place at Nazareth, verse 13. It says in verse 13, And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulon and Naphtalia. 
So Capernaum, uh, this is a city on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was named after the prophet Nahum. And we're going to see here uh, a quote from Isaiah that gives us some insight into the ancient population and the, and the people that made up this city. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, we're going to read verses 14 through 16. It says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. That's very important, that phrase he, he, point, he puts in there. Galilee of the Gentiles. For the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. Now, if you're counting, as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, this is number 10 of 129 times that Matthew will point his Jewish audience back to the Old Testament. And his point in pointing them back to the scriptures of the Old Testament was to show them that Jesus was Israel's predicted Messiah. He's quoting here from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, where Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would begin his ministry in Capernaum. And notice Isaiah calls it the Galilee of the Gentiles. Why does he call it the Galilee of the Gentiles? He calls it the Galilee of the Gentiles because in this region, Capernaum was a melting pot. It wasn't just Jewish people in the northern region. It was a melting pot of Syrians, Phoenicians, Samaritans, Jews, and Greeks. Uh, one uh, ancient historian called it the cosmopolitan of Galilee. Okay? So, so think about this. Now, Jesus comes into this world. In my mind, I th in my thinking, I would think that when Jesus comes into this world and begins his ministry, where should he go? Jerusalem. That's what I would think anyway. But he goes to Capernaum. He goes to Capernaum. Why does he go to Capernaum? I believe Capernaum is a prophetic picture that Jesus came not just for the Jews, but he came for the whole world. Because Capernaum was a city, it was a cosmopolitan. Because of all the territorial conflicts between the Assyrians and Babylon and, and all the countries that had fought over that region over the past 700 years, it wasn't just a Jewish cluster of people. It was a cosmopolitan of, of, of all people. Now, this verse, the prophecy that Isaiah is pointing to, that he, Matthew is pointing out that's being fulfilled, is that Jesus will begin his ministry in Capernaum. Okay, They will be the ones to see the great light as he's walking there along the Sea of Galilee. As we're going to start studying next week. You ready for this? Next week, we're going up on the mountain. We're going up on the mountain. You know what the mountain is? The Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at the blessed life, as Jesus describes it there on the Sermon on the Mount. But the people were seeing this great light. You know, this, this could be, this is talking about Jesus going to Capernaum, but this verse also could also apply to the world today. This, this, this passage could apply to the world today. The world is sitting in darkness. It's like being in a room with no lights, and all the lights are turned out. They are in the shadow of death. They are spiritually blind. 
And what do we need? We need for someone to come in and cut on the light in our heart. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes in and he illuminates our heart. He turns the light switch on and he cuts on the light. He is the, uh, verse 16, people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. Jesus is the great light. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is a lamp. It is a light for us to follow. It leads us to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. We don't walk in darkness because the Lord Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, is dwelling on the inside of us. And his light is radiating our, our lives. And we're no longer in a dark room, blinded, where we can't see. But our spiritual eyes are open. You know, that's one of the beautiful things of Christianity, of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and being a Christian. Not only do you see this world physically, but you see the world spiritually. I look at each and every one of you guys. And man, y'all got some beautiful clothing on. You look very nice and prim and dressed up and looking very nice. But on the inside, I see you as people that Jesus died for and that Jesus loves and he cares for you intimately. And he wants to be your God. He wants to be your shepherd. So I see you spiritually because the Holy Spirit has opened, opened my heart to see that truth that, that Jesus loves you. He died for you. And he wants to be your God. So we see things, we see things spiritually because he's the light of the world. Verse 17. Verse 17 says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, here it is, here's his message, repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Y'all remember what uh, John the Baptist's words were? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The exact same message that John the Baptist preached. Here we have the Lord Jesus Christ preaching. So this message to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, it was the message of John the Baptist. It was the message of Jesus it's the message of the apostles in the book of Acts. And it's also the message that we have today for the world. This is how you enter into the kingdom of God. You say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn away from the old life. And I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. I put my trust in you. I turn away from the way I was thinking. And I, and I, and I embrace you with all my heart. Repent means to change your mind turn from sin and trust in Christ and live for him. So, so far, we're not doing too well because we've, we've looked at Jordan with Herod Antipas and his crew. We've looked at Nazareth, and neither one of those groups of people made wise decisions. They make very foolish decisions not to follow Jesus. Now, let's look at a wonderful response. And hopefully this is your response and my response. It takes place at Capernaum, a different story. So here we go, verse 18. Verse 18, look at verse 18. The, the scripture says, 
Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So where is he at now? He's at Capernaum. And Jesus here is walking along the Sea of Galilee. Now I want you to get this picture in your head, okay? The Sea of Galilee is 13 miles by 8 miles in an oval shape. It is, has 64 square miles of water. That is the size of the Sea of Galilee. Our local lake, Lake Murray, is 41 miles by 14 miles. It has 78 square miles of water. Therefore, the Sea of Galilee is, is smaller than Lake Murray. It's actually about three-quarters the size of Lake Murray. And also, the Jewish historian Josephus says that, who, he, he was governor of Galilee at one time, he wrote that on any given day, there would be 240 boats on the Sea of Galilee. I present all that to, to, to say to you, this was, this was uh, Capernaum's commerce. This is where they made their living. And according to Josephus, 240 boats every single day, fishing the Sea of Galilee. So as Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, it is a busy, happening place. There's people along the shorelines fishing. There's, according to Josephus, over 240 boats on a daily basis out there fishing. Uh, and then here, Jesus comes along two fishermen. The first two fishermen are Peter and Andrew. And look at what he says in verse 19. Very busy place. Lots of people there. Uh, verse 19. And he said to them, follow me. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. What I love about verse 18 is the simplicity of the invitation. The simplicity of the invitation. He, Jesus just says to them, come follow me. Come and pursue me. Come and walk behind me, and then I will make you fishers of men. It's interesting, Jesus relates to what they're doing. You know, they're fishers of fish. You know, they're, they're, they, they, all, they know all, they know, they know what it's about to gather and capture fish and catch them and bring them in by the nets or, or bring them in by the lines, but that was their mission, and now Jesus relates to them, come, and I will, you follow me, and not, you're not going to be fishing for fish no more. You're going to be fishing for men. You can be fishing for men, you know. And look at verse 20. Look at their response. This should be our response. Immediately. That means at the, at the very moment. They didn't say, hold a minute, let me get back with you, let me think about it. It says, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. These men heard the voice of God. The voice that spoke the universe into existence. They heard his audible voice. They didn't say, hey, let me think about it. Let me get back with you. Uh, I'll send you a message. That would have been a foolish response. No, they wasted no time in following the Lord Jesus Christ. They left their nets on the shoreline, and they followed Jesus. Again, family, when you hear his voice through the reading of Scripture, do you hear his voice uh, through the witness of the Holy Spirit? Say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. I will give my life to you, and, and I will follow you all the days of my life. That's a wonderful, beautiful response. So first two places, it didn't work out well. 
Here, people are answering the call, praise the Lord. Verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Here, again, the exact same situation. Two hardworking fishermen doing what they're supposed to be doing, and what happens? Jesus just gives them an invitation. He just looks at them. It says, and he says, actually, it doesn't say, it doesn't say what he said, but verse, look at verse 22. Uh, after the invitation that he gives them, verse 22 says, immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. What I want you to notice in that verse is their response. Number one, their response was immediate. They didn't, they didn't waste no time. They, they heard the voice of God, and they, and they said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, and I will follow you now. Secondly, it was irresistible, because they're working. They, they left the boat and their father. Likely, this is their father and their father's boat, but they're caught, you know, and there's got to be some kind of allegiance, I'm sure, to the father and to the fishing industry, but, but it was irresistible. In other words, the calling of God outweighed their profession and the thing that they were partaking of. And notice they left everything. They left the boat and they even left their father. Because that the, that's the value that each of us should put on God. He should be first in our life. He should be a, above your spouse, above your children, above your family. He should be placed first. When you place God first, he will take care of everything else. So they were placing the Lord first. And notice verse 23. Man, this is awesome, man. This is exciting, man. I would, I would love to have been there in Capernaum watching Jesus do all this ministry. How amazing that would have been. Verse 23 says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So there's three things that verse says that Jesus was doing in his earthly ministry that we need to understand. First, he was teaching in the synagogues. He was teaching. He was expounding on Scripture. He was opening up the Word of God. He was teaching them. You know, he was, that's part of Christianity is, is teaching and growing in our relationship with God based on the teachings of Scripture. Secondly, he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus was out there open-air preaching. He was out there preaching to whosoever would listen he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom that Christ had come to establish God's kingdom. And then it said, Matthew includes, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Look at that word, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Matthew is establishing this truth here that the Lord Jesus Christ has the power to heal all disease all sickness, because he's the creator of the universe. He speaks it. Bam, they are healed. That was his power. That was his glory. So he's, he's teaching, he's preaching, and he's healing. Matthew says every kind of disease. And then the word gets out. The word gets out. This revival's taking place there in Capernaum. Look at verse 24. It says, and the news about him spread throughout all Syria. You know, when good things happen, people hear about it, okay? When, when there's something that's real, it's the real deal, and it's authentic, and it's truly from the Lord, 
the word will get out. And the word was getting out, according to verse 24, throughout all of Syria. People were hearing. So what do they do? They hear about his healing. They hear about his teaching. They hear about his proclamation. Verse 24, halfway through it, it says, They brought him all, all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains and demoniacs and, and epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. You know, it's getting real now. It's getting real. The word is getting out. And the Lord Jesus Christ is demonstrating his power over disease and demons. He is supernaturally healing all who will come. You know, this is a foretaste of heaven. I believe God heals today. And God can heal today physically, okay? And he does heal. He will. God can touch people today and bring a supernatural healing. But here's the great thing. One of the things that we all look forward to, one day we will all be healed of all diseases, all ailments, everything, when we receive our brand new body in heaven. And you see Jesus face to face, it will be this perfect body. And all the healings that take place between now and the day you step into eternity, maybe God, the Lord, supernaturally heals someone in your family. He touches someone with a physical ailment. You know what they are? They're just a touch of heaven. They're just a touch of heaven. This is what you're going to experience in heaven. But he brings healing. That was part of his ministry. Verse 25, our last verse says, A large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now, the large crowds are following Jesus as he preaches and he heals all their diseases. Now, what I want to show you, did anyone notice the three key phrases in those last six verses? There was a phrase that was repeated three times. Did anybody notice the, the phrase? Let's take a look at it. In verse 20, in verse 22, in verse, 20, in verse 25, I want, I want to bring this in to the title of my message, to the thesis of my teaching this morning. Verse 20 says, immediately they left their nets and they what? They followed him. Go down to verse 22. Immediately left their boats and their father and they? And then verse 25, the large crowds, they followed him. There's a, there's a, a theme here that Matthew is conveying in his presentation of Jesus' earthly ministry at Capernaum. And it is the essence of, of Christianity and it simply means we follow Jesus, okay? We follow in his footsteps. So what does it mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And one short statement that I've made for myself is this. I'm going to expound on it more in a second. But to follow Jesus means you have committed your life to following Jesus. That's what it means. You've counted the cost. You see what he requires, you know, to repent, to turn from sin, to trust in him, to live for him, to spend time in his word, to spend time in prayer. You looked at the big picture and you said, Lord Jesus, I want to do that. that. I want that to be my life. That's the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. I want to give you five bullet points, five bullet points this morning of what a follower of Jesus does, what he looks like, based on the 
other scriptures. First off, this, this first one's important because um, sometimes this can be a little intimidating. When you start talking about being a follower of Jesus, you start talking about discipleship. and pe- You start talking about discipleship, people go, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. Wait a minute, what does that entail? What are you going to say? What are you going to do? What have I got to learn? What have I got to memorize? You need to understand this. Number one, a follower of Jesus does not have it all together, okay? You don't have to have it all together in life to be a follower of Jesus, okay? You've got to start somewhere, okay? You've got to come to a point where you say, Lord, I don't have it all together. This area of my life needs help. This area of my life needs help. I'm struggling with this. I don't understand this. That's okay. That's okay. A follower of Jesus Christ is under construction. He's under construction. He or she does not have everything figured out. But here's the cool thing. You're moving in the right direction. You're moving in the right direction when you come to that point in your life and you say, I want to follow you, Lord. I don't have it all together, but I'm ready. I'm ready to go on this journey with you. I'm ready to begin this relationship. You know, when I first came to Christ in 92, I didn't have it all together. I didn't have all my doctrine. I didn't have all my theology. I didn't have all my, the, the sin of the past completely dominated and, and repented of, and I struggled in areas of my life. You know what? That was where grace came in. Grace came in. His Holy Spirit came into my life. Discipleship came into my life. Accountability came into my life. And I was able to grow in those areas of my life and gain the victory over those, those things I struggle with. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you understand you don't have it all together? Amen? I don't have it all together. But we say, Lord Jesus, we want to follow you. And we want to live our life to you, live our life for you. And it doesn't mean you have it all figured out, but you're moving in that direction. So that's number one. Second thing, a follower of Jesus. He is a disciple. You know what the word disciple means? It means a learner. It means a learner. It's doing what you're doing right now. We're opening up the Bible, and we're studying the verses, and we're seeing what Scripture says. A disciple is one who learns. He is a student. As a student, he, he or she wants to know more. And a student, a disciple, their heart is like a sponge. Is your heart like a sponge? In, in your heart, do you say, God, I want more of you. I want to understand your word. I want to go deeper in my relationship with you. So they want to grow. How do you learn? How do you grow? How, how, does, how does a disciple, where does he start if he or she wants to grow? Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, Verses 2 and 3, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I ask you, this is between you and God. Do you want to be a disciple? Do you want to be a learner? Do you feel this, your heart on the inside saying, I need you more. I want more of you, God, in my life. Do you feel that sponge-like heart condition that says, Lord, I want to learn? That's a great place to be. That's a wonderful place to be. Number three, a follower of Jesus desires to see others 
come to know Jesus. A, a, a follower of Christ wants to see others. Jesus told Peter and Andrew back in our passage, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So a follower of Christ is someone who says, man, I want to help other people come to know the Lord. I want to be a witness. I want to share Jesus with my neighbor. I want to share Jesus with my coworkers. I want to share Jesus with the people around me. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that, even that desire for evangelism, who does it come from? The Holy Spirit. He gives you that desire to go out and be a witness and see other people come to Jesus. And let me say something too when it comes to witnessing because a lot of Christians will witness, someone will reject or walk away and you feel like you're a failure, okay? Let me tell you something. The word of God never returns void, okay? If you witness to someone, if you share the gospel, ignore their response, whether it's positive or negative. The Holy Spirit will take what you speak into someone's life in a witness encounter, especially when you're sharing scripture, and the Holy Spirit will use that to convict them and to work on their hearts. Man, I remember, man, that, that final year before I came to Christ, I remember everything that preacher was saying to me when, whenever uh, my, I went to my grandmother's church in Augusta. And I was miserable every night. I remembered him sharing the gospel, and I knew in my heart of hearts I wasn't right with the Lord. But let me tell you something. Everything he said uh, to me at that altar, I did not pray to receive Christ. I bolted out of there as quickly as possible. I didn't want to have nothing to do with this Jesus, okay? It's in his eyes, in his physical eyes, I just rejected and I, I walked away and I went on about my way. But for the next year, I thought about what he said in that witness encounter every single day. It ate away at my heart. And the Holy Spirit used it to bring me to Christ. So be a witness. Be a witness for the Lord. Number four, we got five of them. Number four is... Uh, a follower of Jesus grows in obedience. He grows in obedience. We call this sanctification. Sanctification is a big, long theological word that just simply means you're growing. You're growing and you're being set apart for God in your relationship with him. You're moving forward and you're growing in your obedience to Christ as you surrender your life to him. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable. Are you growing in obedience? You know, we have to ask ourselves, and we have to say, Lord, change my heart, orient my heart, Give me a hunger for righteousness. Give me a hunger for obedience. Grow me in this direction. Holy Spirit, I surrender my life to you. I fill my heart and mind with the word of God. And the Lord will use that to cause you to grow in obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Well, here's the deal. We, it's not a legalism thing, okay? It's, it's not a legalistic thing. It, it's about loving Jesus so much in this life that all you care about is obeying him. 
and you don't care what the world says. That's what a follower of Jesus, that's what these 12 men that commit to following Christ and being his 12 disciples, this is the life that they will portray. And finally, a follower of Jesus, he loves God. He loves God. You know, there is an affection. There is a, uh, an intimate affection in our hearts and an allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? We are emotional people. We do have heart strings, as you could call them. In our, in, our, in, our, in our heart cry, in our affections, just like I would say I love my wife, I love her, I'm endeared to her, I would say, God, I love you. I love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. There's this affection of loving him. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39, Jesus said these words, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Do you hear that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. In other words, there's this affection on the inside of us that says, God, I love you with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, that you love your neighbor. So you're like, God, I love you. I want to obey you. And then his love so overwhelms you. His amazing love so overwhelms you, it causes you to love everyone around you, regardless of who they are or, or whatever. You love people. That is part of Christianity. Do we love God? Do you love God? Do, do you love God more than anything? It, 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 you, you, we are called to love him and place him first. You know, I realize that all these things I put up on the list this is all part of uh, sanctification. And my prayer this morning as, as we've looked at this opening passage, being a follower of Jesus, is that God will grow your heart and give you a hunger to understand this, to understand you don't have it all together, but you want to be a learner. You want to be a sponge. You want to grow as a disciple. And then you want to grow in your evangelism. You want to grow in your obedience, and you want to grow in this life to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That's my prayer for you guys this morning. Grow in his love. Grow in his grace. Grow in his truth. And you will become what? I don't say become. You are and will continue to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Father, I pray, God, that, um, that these things that we've talked about and being a follower, God, that you'll give us a desire to obey you, to love you, to be a witness, to, to just grow, God. Help us to have sponge-like hearts that just hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.